What's up, church family? How y'all doing this morning? Everybody good? Come on, man. We got some energy up in here. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. Well, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to be here with you guys. I love your church. Um, we flew in yesterday from South Carolina. Let's go, Tigers. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm just honored to be here. Uh, the last time I was here was about 20 months ago or so, and I had just had a little girl. I was a little sleepy, I'll be honest with you. Uh, but I think that we have a picture of them right now that we're going to throw on the screen. Yes, exactly. That's my sweet little girl, Evelyn. And um, uh, she's almost two now, and that's my wife, Kathleen, and we got another one on the way. So next time I come, I'll probably have another one on the way. We'll just see. We'll just keep having babies, and it'll be awesome. Uh, But if you would, let's pray together real quick, then we'll jump into the message. Heavenly Father, this, this is your space. This is your word. It's your Holy Spirit. It's your church. It's your world. God, we want to encounter you this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Change us from the inside out, God. We don't want to just come in here and hear a cleaned up message and then leave unchanged. God, we want to encounter the living God. You come where you're wanted, and we want you this morning. Speak to us through your word. Convict us, Lord. Encourage us. Challenge us. And God, would you remind us of who you are? Behold our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When I was about 20 years old, uh, that I was out driving one night and I, I was intoxicated. I was pulled over and, and uh, I caught some charges and the, the uh, court system ultimately said, hey, that you're under 21, this has happened a few times though, so that we're gonna put you in this class. And the class was about 12 sessions and uh, the first night I went, they said, hey, listen, uh, that you can have your license back, have the charges dropped if you just come here 12 times and the only thing is that you can't get high or drunk. And I was kind of smiling at first. I was like, that, honestly, that's easy. I can get my license back. I can get my life on track. This is going to be amazing. But as I drove home that night, I started crying. Tears rolled down my face because here's what I knew. Is that right when I got home, I was going to get high and drunk. And this question arose in my heart of, is change even possible? I had tried lots of things uh, to get clean and to stop using. I tried all the meetings, I tried all the medications, I tried things, and and honestly, I was kinda at the end of my rope. And that question arose in my heart of, is change even possible? How can I change? Is transformation in my life even possible? And probably at some point in your life that you've asked this question as well. Whether it's a personal hurt habit or hang up, or it's in your marriage, or it's in your family, or with your kids, or at work, or in our country, or in the entire world. You've asked the question of is change even possible? How can I change? How can things change in my life, in my marriage? How can I get over this hurt habit? Or hang up. 
is transformation even possible? How does transformation take place? If you have a Bible, uh, you can flip over to Romans chapter 12. This is a common passage that I've, I've heard preached. But I hope that this morning as we look at this text and how Paul explains how transformation happens that we uh, will view it through a fresh lens and our hearts will hear what he's saying and be changed from the inside out. I'm gonna read it for us. Here's what it says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul, in this passage, he's gonna give us the power of transformation, the posture of transformation, the practices of transformation, and then the pleasure of transformation. First, the power of transformation. How many people started off this year with some resolutions? You can be honest. Anybody have some resolutions to start off the year or goals or whatever you want to call them? If you're like, no, nah, I don't do resolutions. I do goals. That's, that's me. I'm, I'm here. How are they going? We good? They're good? Is it, has anybody here said, yeah, I'm killing it. I got my, all my resolutions are, are I'm, I'm crushing them. Anybody? Come on. You can be honest if you're kidding. Come on. One person in the room. I don't know if I missed anybody else on there. Two people in the room. Three. Look at y'all. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are, this, is, this church is awesome. <laughs> About 3% of the population actually follows through with uh, you know, their resolutions. But oftentimes what happens is that we have these resolutions or these goals. We're like, man, I'm going to quit eating so much. I'm going to lose some weight except then you go get a donut and it's like, I, I, just can't, I just can't deny it. That we have these huge goals, we have these things that we wanna change in our life, except eventually what we realize is that we really lack the power to change. Here's how Paul opens up this passage. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God. How Paul wrote Romans is that chapters one through 11 is theological. It's who is God, who are we, and what has gone wrong in the world and how he's making it right. Except here in these two verses, he switches from the theological into the practical. He says, all right, we've heard all of this, and now I wanna tell you what we can actually do with what we've just heard. So when he says, therefore, he's referencing chapters one through 11. And here's what he says in chapters one through 11, that there is a real God who's created everything in the universe for his glory and our joy. Like, have you ever eaten a filet mignon before? Anybody in here like that? That is for his glory, come on. A lot more hands there than the resolutions. I see what y'all do, I, 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 I feel it. Everything in creation is for his glory and our joy. And ultimately, he created all humanity to have a relationship with him, to have an intimacy, to have a closeness with the God of the universe, and to have a closeness with one another, to have unity. 
and he even blessed us and creation. Yet, uh, that what we clearly see is that something has gone terribly wrong, and he calls this sin. That ultimately what happened is that evil came into the world, and Adam and Eve sinned and turned away from God and said, God, I don't want you, I just want your stuff. And ultimately what that did is we were separated from God at conflict with one another, and creation itself was cursed. And I don't know about you, but if I'm God, I'm just starting over. You know, it's like, okay, y'all messed it up. Let's, let's, just, let's just erase and let's, let's hit repeat. Let, let's, let's try something else. Except that isn't what he did. He came towards our mess. He comes towards our brokenness. He comes towards our sin. And what he does in the Old Testament is that he chooses a man, Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm choosing you. I'm gonna bless you in order that you can be a blessing to the entire world. And eventually, uh, that becomes a country, a people, Israel. And he blesses Israel in order to be a blessing to all of uh, the nations. And this culminates in the person of Jesus, who isn't a fairy tale. He's not Harry Potter or the Lord of the Rings. He was a real guy who lived 2,000 years ago. He came to earth. He lived a perfect life. He hung around with all the screwed up people of the world, claiming he's God, claiming he had the words of eternal life. And all the hyper-spiritual people of his day hated what he was saying, hated who he he was spending time with, and had him arrested and beaten, whipped, flogged, spit on, and eventually crucified on a criminal's cross. Except you've heard the story On that cross, he didn't stay dead, but on the third day, he hopped up from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death and everything. He hung out for about 40 days, teaching about the kingdom of heaven, teaching about the kingdom of God. He ascended into heaven, his Holy Spirit came here to earth, and he promises that one day he's gonna come and return. This is the gospel. This is why we're gathered here this morning, is because we believe that story is true, that there is a real God, and yes, we mess some things up, but he is making it right through the person and work of Jesus. But here's what the scripture says, is that ultimately that our problem is that we lack power for transformation, but it says that if we will place our faith in Jesus... The spirit of God comes and lives inside of us. He gives us a brand new heart and now we have the power to change. Can't miss this. The power of transformation is not our effort, it's his grace. How real change, lasting change takes place is not through I'm just gonna grit my teeth and try harder. How transformation takes place is by the grace and the mercy of God, the starting point of your change in your life, in your family, in our country, in our world, cannot be try harder. The starting point has to be his work, his grace, his love. So the power of transformation is the grace and the mercy of God. So is that it? Just lay on the couch eat cheese balls, and watch ESPN. Honestly, that sounds like a good day to me. 
Uh, that's not the end of the passage, so let's keep reading. The power of transformation is the gospel, but now let's look at the posture of transformation. He explains this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. What Paul is explaining here is that the only proper response to that gospel, to that good news, to the grace and the mercy of God in the work of Jesus is full surrender to him. It's not, okay, I I love the gospel, so you get an hour a week, and then the rest of the week I live for me. The only proper response, Paul says, is that we present our whole selves, our whole lives, our whole bodies to Jesus every single day. Every day we get back on the altar as a living sacrifice saying, God, you can have my day. You can have my life. I have a sweet wife, as you just saw, named Kathleen. And how do you think it would go if I told her, hey, boo-boo, that's how I talk to her. I'm glad she's not here. She'd be so embarrassed. She's like, I'm never traveling with you again. But um, how do you think it would go if I said, hey, baby, um, I, uh, I love you. You know I love you. Like, I'm covenanted in. We, we, you know, it's amazing. And like Tuesdays and Thursdays, I'm going to come home and chill with you. Yet the rest of the week, I'm going to give myself to another. Mm, no, nah, y'all don't know my wife. She backhand me and said, uh-uh, that, that, that ain't how it's going to work. She actually wouldn't slim, smack me. But... Except that's oftentimes what we do with God, right? It's like, God, I, I, I love you so much. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. I'll give you an hour a week or a month. Except the rest of the time, I'm going to live for myself. He's not asking for a part of you. He's asking you to lay your whole self before him as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God The power of transformation is the grace and the love and the mercy of God. The posture of transformation is surrender. I love in the AA book, it says half half measures avail us nothing. Halfway in, halfway out type of transformation effort isn't going to do it. But still, what does this actually look like? Paul then goes to the practices of transformation. The practices of transformation. He offers us two practices of transformation. Here's number one. Counterconformity from the way of the world. He says here in verse two, do not be conformed to this world. I remember when I was a kid uh, that we'd go to the beach a lot. It, it's, it's cold up here in D.C., by the way. I don't know if y'all realize that, but, like, I'm from South Carolina, so y'all need to turn the heat up next time I come because it's, it's a little chilly. Y'all are like, it ain't cold. You just wait. Uh, but it was, was hot at the beach one day, probably 85, and I was out there with my family, and uh, I, was just, I was just playing. We had this raft that I got in. I mean, I don't know if I fell asleep in the raft or it was just like I kind of dozed off and was just kind of daydreaming. But the next thing I know, I'm hearing my parents cry out my name from the shore. And I was like, you know, 
eight years old or something, so I'm like, who is calling my name? So I look up, and I am way out in the ocean. And I'm like, it's fine, I'll just get out and swim. And I hopped out, and I couldn't touch, and I was scared to death. So I crawled back in and, and just waited for my dad to come get me. But I think that oftentimes this is what happens spiritually, especially in the Western church. We slowly kind of fall asleep to what's happening in the world and what's happening in culture. And slowly over time, it's not overnight, but slowly over time that we wake up and re- we realize, where am I? I'm not close to Jesus anymore. I just feel like there's this space I haven't prayed in a while. Slowly over time, what the cultural currents of the world will do is they'll pull you away from Jesus. Oftentimes without you even knowing it. Because all the time like we get these stories, these ideologies in our mind of the left and the right trying to pull us in that direction. Every commercial, every news anchor is pulling you in a direction, a cultural current type of direction. And if we're not careful, slowly over time, that we'll be like, where am I? We have to intentionally resist the cultural currents of our day or else they will pull us away from Jesus. But I love what my dad did. So waiting out there, I couldn't get back by myself, but he jumped in the water. And even though there was a riptide and a current going on, he sacrificed himself in order to come and pull me back in. And I just believe that that's exactly what your heavenly father's doing with some of you here this morning. That here today, the Holy Spirit's gonna make you aware. Man, I've been pulled to the left or to the right. I've been pulled out to sea. I'm not close to Jesus anymore. And it's not your effort that's gonna get you back. It's not I'm gonna jump out because you can't, but your heavenly father loves you so much that he's gonna come get you. Counterconformity from the way the world. Here's practice number two that Paul gives us, formation in the way of Jesus. Formation in the way of Jesus. He says this, I did not be conformed to this world, yet be transformed by the renewal of your mind. I love how Paul tells Timothy this. He says, train for godliness. Train for godliness. Physical training has some value, but training for godliness has value in every way. I have some friends uh, that are in the military, and uh, they went uh, to to basic training, and, and I was asking them how it was, and they were like, man, there's a few mornings where I didn't want to get up. I was so tired, like we lifted weights, we'd gone running, we were doing all this hard training stuff and, and, and I didn't want to get up. And I was like, okay, so what'd you do? Did you like say, hey, excuse me, um, I'm just gonna stay in bed today because like I'm, I'm kind of achy, you know what I mean? I'm kind of hurting, got a little sniffle. All the military people in here are like, nah, bro. That ain't how it is. You get your tail up and you go train. And Paul is telling Timothy here and telling you and I that if we're going to be formed in the way of Jesus, it's going to take some effort. There are some mornings where we're going to get up and be like, I don't feel like it. And training means that if we feel like it or we don't, we are going to follow Jesus. 
I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He ultimately says that grace is not, or it is opposed with earning, it's not opposed with effort. Grace is opposed to earning, ultimately meaning that we can't earn God's love. Yet it's not opposed to effort. It takes some grace-inspired effort in order to follow Jesus. Uh, there's this triangle that's also by Willard, uh, triangle of spiritual formation that we're gonna throw on the screen back here. Ultimately, what he says is that there's three primary practices that we need in our life um, in order to grow spiritually or to be formed in the way of Jesus. First is truth. That our world lives in the realm of ideas right now. Everything's an idea. Everything's a hot take. And there are tons of lies swirling around all the time. And if we're not careful, what can happen is we can latch onto these lies and it pulls us astray. But Paul is telling us, hey, this word is true. This word is God's word and we have to root ourselves in this or else we'll be pulled away. And so the first is, is, is scripture, it's, it's truth. Second is exercise through spiritual practices. What I mean by this is like prayer, fasting, silence, solitude, worship, confession, those types of things. And three is community. And man, I don't know if y'all know this, but y'all got a really cool church. And this is a great place that you can find community, except it's also a great place you can hide if you don't really want community. So I want to encourage us all. Hey, if you're here and you're like, I wanna grow in my walk with Jesus, those are three practical ways. Spend time in the word, prayer and spiritual practices, and then root yourselves in real community here at the church. And all of that is empowered and animated and inspired by the Holy Spirit. One practice that I'd recommend to you that's like my anchor practice, that if everything else goes away, this one thing is gonna remain almost every single morning. It's where I get up early normally before the family's awake, and I go and make an Ethiopian pour-over coffee. It's a little bougie, but it, it, it gets me up in the morning, and, and I love it. Man, does anybody like pour-overs in here? Any hipsters? Come on. We got, we got a bunch of people. Come on. Okay. I love an Ethiopian pour-over coffee. And so I get up, I make my coffee, and I have this ugly orange chair in my living room. I go and sit down. It's, it's really ugly. And I sit in that chair. I have my cup of coffee. I have an open Bible, an open journal, and I hold out my hands and I say, God, would you speak to me? I'm here to meet with you. If it's a half an hour, if it's an hour, if it's an hour and a half, whatever I have that day, I have that space. And I'll be honest with you, man, there's times I get up and I, I just have my cup of coffee and I read and I'm like, that was cool. I read, I read a book. Except other days, I get up and I do the same thing open Bible, open journal, I pray a little bit, I read, I journal, I write some things, and in that space, I meet with the living God of the universe. And the Holy Spirit meets me there, and I get fresh revelation from him. He inspired me to read the text, and, and, and I'm telling you, that's what training is like. Every morning isn't gonna be like, Lord, angels, glory, like, there's gonna be a few mornings that are, I read, 
except slowly over time, what scripture says that we will slowly be transformed into the image of Jesus. Where is your space like that? Where you can hang out with God? I have a few anchors in my life. One is that another is that every week I hang out with my wife on date night. In exactly the same way, there's times where we just go eat something and it's like, cool, we got to spend some time together. Except other times we really, like really connect on a heart level. But we keep doing it. Have time like that with, yes, your spouse, but especially God. Have a space and time. And if it's not early mornings, if you're like, nah, early mornings ain't for me. It's late at night, 11 o'clock, that's when I'll say, sweet, then do it then. But have a space in your life where you are intentionally spending time with Jesus as a practice of spiritual formation. I love how Paul explains it right here. He says, as we behold the glory of God, that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. It's not overnight. It's not, all right, I read my Bible one time and now I'm, I'm changed forever. It's slowly, as you behold his glory, as you feast on his presence, it's slowly over time that you're transformed into the image of Jesus. Spiritual life is like tending a, a vegetable garden. If you come home and look at my vegetable garden, you will not be impressed. It is overrun with weeds. Yet, how you tend a garden is you gotta pull the weeds and sow good seeds. The f- first practices of counterconformity to the world is pulling the weeds in your life. Like, what are those weeds in your life that you just gotta pull up? And then formation in the way of Jesus is like sowing good seeds. And over time, you'll have a beautiful spiritual garden in your life. Planting the seeds and pulling the weeds isn't bringing the growth. It's God that brings the growth. It's the same way with spiritual practices. It isn't that you're doing it. It's that you are showing up, trusting that God will meet you there. That he's the active agent in these things. So is change possible? Is transformation possible? How does that take place? Well, the power of transformation is the grace and the mercy and the love of God. The posture of transformation is surrender. It's not halfway in, halfway out. It's, it's I'm on the altar as a living sacrifice. The practices of transformation is I'm turning from the way of the world and I'm following Jesus. I'm pulling the weeds and sowing good seeds. And then lastly, the pleasure of transformation. The pleasure of transformation. He says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and here it is, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. This idea of testing that Paul says right here, The word means that you try something out in order to see the worth and the value or the strength of something. 
It's like that I could tell you all day, man, that I believe that chair is gonna hold me right there. Except actually the only way to know that is to put my weight on it and to say, hey, I'm testing this out. Paul says, test this out. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. It's one of my favorite quotes in the entire world. It's one that I go back to over and over again in my life. And I want you to lean into these words of what he says. He says this, that we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. That all of us are like an ignorant child who wants to go on playing with mud pies in a slum for we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. Do you see what he's doing there? He's ultimately saying that all of us come into the world as a child in a slum playing with mud acting like it's enjoyable, and we're like, man, this mud really feels good in my hand. And then eventually in the course of life, we're like, ah, oh, no, that, that, that slum's not good. I don't like that mud. Let's go over here to this other slum. We jump from slum to slum, trying to find better mud to play with, acting like we're having a good time. But he explains that ultimately there's gonna come a day where Somebody comes into your life and says, hey, listen, I know you're acting like you're having fun with the mud, but there's this holiday at sea. Hey, man, I've tried that mud. I, I know what it's like, but, but, but this is way better. And the only way to really know if that's a lie or if it's true is to test it out. It's to try it out, to put down the mud and to trust the person to try out the holiday at sea. This is my story. I know uh, a lot of you guys have heard it because I was here 20 months ago, but I just want to reframe it for you guys in case you haven't heard it. As I'm originally from Raleigh, North Carolina, I had a really bad speech impediment as a kid. I couldn't talk at all. If you said, hey, what's your name? I literally couldn't tell you. I had all kinds of anxiety that went along with that and had this hole in my soul as well. I didn't really understand why it was there. And so as a little boy, I chose, I was like, man, if I'm gonna have to wrestle with speech impediments, anxiety, and this hole in my soul, then I'm gonna try to get as much pleasure from this world as possible. And I'm here to tell you, I rang the pleasures of this world dry. Anything I could get my hands on, I tried it. Eventually, I became a drug addict. I was a heroin junkie. I tried everything to get off the drugs. I'm like, okay, this is the problem. I tried all the meetings and the medications and rehabs and everything, but could not get clean. I, mean, I got down to about 100 pounds, so 5'11", same height as I am now, but about half a human ago. I had track marks up and down my arms, still couldn't speak. I ended up in this other treatment center. And as I was coming off of the drugs uh, that somebody invited me to a church service. And man, I wasn't raised in the church. I didn't have any real clear conception of who God was, but I agreed. It was Christmas Eve of 2010 that I went that night. And I mean, I heard there was pretty girls and cool music, so I was like, this is gonna be fun. I'm a real catch, 100-pound drug addict. (laughs) 
But I went that night and I heard about a God who loves hurting people. I mean, I heard about a God that if I gave him all the broken pieces of my life, that he could turn it into something beautiful. I heard about Jesus who laid down his life in order that I can be reconciled to the God of the universe. I heard how he rose from the grave and he conquered all sin and Satan and death. And if I place my faith in him, that he'd do the same in my life. And man, I didn't understand all the implications of what the pastor was saying, of all the theology or anything like that. But what I knew is that my way wasn't working and I wanna give that a shot. And I'm telling you, that night, 12 years ago on Christmas Eve of 2010, I placed my faith in Jesus, I turned away from my sin, and I'm telling you, nothing has been the same since. Yeah, we can give God glory for that. I mean, if there's one thing I've learned over the past 12 years, it's this. is that the joy of following Jesus is way better than anything this world has to offer. It's way better than having all the drugs in the world, all the alcohol in the world, all the parties. He's more satisfying. He's way more satisfying than all the money in the world, all the homes, all the cars, all the platform. He's, he's better than all of that. Those things won't satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, but God's presence will. There's one thing I'd tell you is that more drugs, more alcohol, a bigger platform, extra money, extra possessions, pornography, more, whatever it is, those things won't satisfy the deepest longings of your soul, but God will. I love this verse, Psalm 1611. He said, he makes known to me the path of life. In his presence, there's the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. What your soul is longing for is the presence of God. It's what you were made for. It's what I was made for. It's what all of humanity was made for, is to know God intimately like that. And scripture says that in his presence is the fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. It's not easy. It's not all, you know, ease and comfort and prosperity all the time. Oh, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Is change possible? Absolutely. Change is possible. It's possible in your life, it's possible in your marriage. It's possible in your family. It's possible in the country. It's possible in the entire world. Transformation is possible. Except it starts with the grace and the mercy of Jesus. The power of transformation isn't our effort. It's his love. The posture of transformation isn't halfway in, halfway out. It's full surrender. The practices of transformation is I'm gonna pull the weeds and sow good seeds. I'm gonna turn from sin, turn from the world, and I'm gonna follow Jesus with spiritual practices. And the pleasure of transformation is that it's so worth it. He's what our souls long for.
Transformation happens when we jump headfirst into Jesus and his ways. Turn from the old, embrace the new, and see that his ways are what we've always longed for. Over the past few years, I've been in school and I've done a lot of research on post-modernity and kind of just culture right now. And here's what I've learned. Is it really, if we're honest with ourselves, that there's only two altars we can be on? One is the altar of the self. It's everything kind of revolves around me and what I want and how I feel. It's the altar of the self. The other altar, the only other one, is the altar of the Savior. It's laying down our lives at the feet of Jesus as a living sacrifice. And here's the thing about these two altars. The altar of the self is comfortable for a season. It feels good. It's like, this just feels so right. I'm just, I'm just living for me. I'm doing me. But it ends in emptiness and destruction. The altar of the Savior early on feels like pain because there's some things in me that have to die except over the long haul, it's one degree of glory to the next. It's one degree of life abundant to the next. So here's my question for you this morning, is which altar are you on? Which altar are you on? Are you on the altar of self or are you on the altar of the Savior? Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do. Draw people to yourself. Change hearts. Save souls. Save people. With all heads down and all eyes closed, if you're here and you're like, hey, that's me. There hasn't ever been a time in my life where I've realized, hey, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I believe here this morning that, that you're here for a purpose. And the reason why you're here is to hear the gospel, to hear the good news, of what Jesus has done on your behalf and how you can tap into it through faith. So if that's you this morning, if you're like, I'm ready to turn from my old life and give my life to Jesus, then I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. It isn't the prayer that saves you. It's not if you get all the words right, then you're a Christian. It's a posture of the heart of, hey, I, I know I know I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior and I'm handing you my life. I'm placing my faith in you. If that's you, pray something like this to him in your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud. He's closer than your closest thoughts. You can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I need you to save me. I know I'm a sinner and I know I can't save myself but I believe that you can. I believe you were crucified on the cross for my sin and that you rose from the grave. I repent of my sin and I place all my faith in you, Jesus. You can have my life. 
with all heads down and all eyes closed, if you prayed that this morning and you meant it, would you put your hand over your head? I'm the only one looking. Raise it up. Do you mind leaving it there so I can just see? Awesome, man. You aren't the only one. put your hands down if, if you want. If you're one of those people who responded to the gospel, there's a prayer team that's going to be up here in just a minute. And we would love to pray with you. Uh, this is the starting block. It's not the finish line. And you have a church family here that wants to walk with you. But everybody can uh, look up again at me if you, if you will. As we go back into worship, I just want to encourage you that if you pray to receive Christ or if you need prayer for anything else, that there's going to be a prayer team that the whole reason they came to church today is to pray with you. And they would love nothing more than to hear what's going on and to, and to pray with you. Change is possible. The power of transformation, this is grace. The posture of transformation is full surrender. The practices of counterformation and formation and the pleasures of transformation is his presence. Let's jump head first into the things of God because he is where the joy is. Love you, Mount.